Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Venus and Mars podcast. You've got your host, Anya Shack here. And today we're talking about what trauma, sex, and money all have to do with each other. Because money is funny. Like money is weird. It's a weird thing. People get weird about it. And I never really thought about why people get weird about talking about money until I met this man, Dylan Bain. This man knows everything about how money is actually the most emotional experience that we have. And I'm so excited to have him here to talk about how money and relationships are inextricably linked and how important it is to understand how important it is to understand money such that we can understand ourselves in a bigger and deeper way. So without further ado, Dylan Bain, welcome. It's absolutely my pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Me too. It's going to be juicy. I'm excited to get into stuff. Tell me, so you run a business called Fiscally Savage. Tell me about what that is, a little bit of the origin story and what what that means to you. So Fiscally Savage is my financial coaching practice. And like I started it, Fiscally Savage actually came out of a process in my life of, of stepping in to being fully present as a man in my life. That started in 2015 when I left an eight-year career as a teacher. I had a principal who asked me to commit fraud. And when I told her, no, I wasn't going to do that, she basically told me, like, hey, contracts for next year haven't come out yet. You've got kids. Maybe you should take the night off because I was working not one, not two, but three jobs. And I was on welfare. And she knew that. And so she told me I should go home and and spend time with my daughter, uh, think about what the right thing to do for her is. And when I did that you know, two things happened. Number one, I started questioning, you know, what my role here was in this world, there had to be something more. And so it was the first time in my life that I I suddenly had a vision for what my future could be. That was a house with a yard with steaks on a grill with my kids playing and laughing in that yard. And my wife walking up behind me, giving me a big hug and saying, honey, I love what we built. So, so that was the, the, the first thing. The second thing was realizing that the question of what does my daughter need me to do was really actually the right question because what she needed me to do was be honest. Mm. And so the next day I went back and I, I told the principal, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, she told me she was very disappointed in me. And then I told her to go fuck herself. And that was the end of my teaching career. And that kicked off an eight-year process where I went from three jobs, food stamps, and welfare to a very high-powered career in accounting. And throughout that process, there were so many men who continued to come to me and say, how do you do what you do? Mm. Like, how is it that you're able to to perform at the same levels? How are you paying for this? How Mm. are you going through college again? And so the coaching developed out of that, about this Mm. idea of helping create people who can live from their hearts by providing pathways to their financial sovereignty. Mm. And that's what Fiscally Savage is. That's so beautiful. Financial sovereignty is something I don't think a lot of people have a handle on. How do you think you're such a rational, logical, smart man? I am like learning things every time I speak to you. How do you think you got to the place that you were that night with the principal? What went wrong in in your like quest to do everything right and, and things still weren't working? Like what happened? 
Oh, that question is so much more pointed than you know, because that was the question. I had done everything right. Mm. I had followed the logical, civilized, approved path in this world. I'd gone to school. I'd gotten the job. I kept my head down. I kept my nose clean. And there I am with a full-time job on welfare with two additional jobs Mm. and no health insurance. So what what went wrong is that I did everything right. I never stood up for myself. I never defined what I wanted. I did what everyone else wanted for me. And it, it's crazy because <laughs> in, in, in my men's group, I'm known as the freeze the lemons guy because I, when I was sitting there at my t- kitchen table that night going, what am I going to do? My principles got me by the financial balls here. Yeah. I'm, I We came back. We had used to live overseas. We came back to the United States so that my wife could go to grad school. I had made a promise to her mm. to support her career. Mm. and here I am looking down the barrel of this. And I called my mom and my mom was like, Dylan, you just need to make lemonade when life gives you lemons. And I thought to myself, like, like, no, 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 no. Mm. I'm going to freeze the lemons. I'm going to build a cannon. I'm going to return fire because I'm going to bombard life until it stops giving me ammunition. Mm. And that's really like, how did I end up there? It was that that was the first time I'd ever stood up to her. Uh. And so and what was crazy was, you know, I left teaching in 2015, but this that that fraud incident was in 2014. Mm. The superintendent actually gave me a contract for the next year because he thought it was entertaining to see the principal so flustered having to try to deal with me. So that can kind of tell you what kind of game this whole thing ha- was. How could I? I couldn't take anybody or anything in the educational system serious anymore. And so when you get to that point, it's no, I'm going to live for me, from my heart, mm. for my kids, and I'm going to build my own vision. I'm not going to walk this approved civilized path. I'm not going to continue to do the smart thing. I'm going to start breaking some glass. I'm going to start bombarding some life. I'm going to stop taking no for an answer and start figuring out how to get to yes. Wow. So beautiful. I'm like very blown away by your story and your words. Thank God. Thank God for your bravery and courage. I think in the West, since the Industrial Revolution, the education system, like it's all been structured around this just like survival mentality. Just keep your head down. You'll make enough to just be do enough so that you can keep continuing to be a cog in the system, right? And so I think that's what so many Americans and maybe not even Americans, but just other people in the West are kind of waking up to this idea of like, wait, I haven't actually learned the important lessons about me and my life and what it's going to take to be sovereign, like really be free, be a free person and not a slave. And so I think this leads me directly to money and the conversation around money and why people have such a hard time finding financial sovereignty. Like what, what do you think it is? So uh, there's a lot to lot to unpack there. Yeah. Um <laughs> because yeah. in in the east they don't have it a whole lot better. They just have different uh indoctrinating stories. Mm. You know, in in the west we we work on this this principle that like, you know, if you're a good person then you'll you'll receive gifts in this world and if you mm. get the gifts you're a bad person. And and yeah. if you go back like through through like western thought, like you can go back to Friedrich Nietzsche and the genealogy of morals. And he talks about like, there are two different types of moralities. He called them slave and master. We'll call them worker and capitalist. Okay. Um, and I'm not an anti-capitalist by any extent of the mean, totally. but 
there is a different set of rules for the the people working on the front lines versus what might be considered the management class. And I grew up in a blue collar family. And so that was very much a big thing. Like, don't stick your head up, you know, don't, don't work really hard to get ahead. And so when you don't achieve for whatever reason, then we internalize that as this is my fault. I guess I didn't deserve that. Mm. Um, Then on the other side, you know, you have in the more, you know, the upper upper rungs of what we call the management class capital. You, there's lots of different words you can use for it. They they are they're taught differently. They're taught to, you know, they, to take risks and take ambitions and and to stand up and be counted. And the difference between those is really uh, what is your ability to take a financial punch? Mm. And so in in, you know, if you've grown up with wealth and you can take a, a financial punch, you can take bigger risks. Mm. It's not devastating. Whereas on on you know more of the blue collar side of things, taking a punch can be absolutely devastating for your family, and this then creates internalized stories, mm-hmm. right? Because we've we've seen you know our grandparents saw the guy who stood up in the factory and said no no, no I'm not doing that anymore, mm-hmm. and then he got fired and he couldn't get another job because he got blacklisted, right. and then that was taught by our our grandparents to our parents who then taught it to us, and now it's our job to not teach that to our children. Mm, but money money is emotional like money is emotional and it's high time we started to actually grapple with that that money is not this ethereal thing that has no, no nothing to do with our lives it's not evil it is quite literally the foundation that we build our entire needs on because in and i've lived in the east i lived in taiwan for a couple of years you still need money for the apartment. You mm-hmm. still need money for the food and the shelter and the warmth and the safety and the security. And if you want to be in relationships, like when I was still dating, I dated on the cheap, mostly because I'm an excellent cook. Um, and that's way cheaper than taking people out to dinner. Um, and that is my first date with my wife. And it still required money. <laughs> yes. So explain to me how money is emotional because I think most people see it very logically because it's numbers. Please explain. How is it emotional? Yeah, excellent question. So I'm an accountant by trade. And so if if money was purely a logic spreadsheet based thing, I wouldn't have a job, not as a CPA and not as a financial coach. Mm. Money is emotional. So like if we just back up for a second, money is emotional because it's the foundation we built Maslow's hierarchy of needs on. And so if you, you, we all familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the bottom tier one, that's your physiological needs. Bottom, you know, next up is your safety and security. Next up is relationships, then esteem, then your Mm self-actualization. So that's the pyramid and money's the dirt we put the pyramid on. Yeah. And so if you think about it, if I threaten somebody's job, I'm not threatening a sense of identity, although I'm doing that too. I'm not threatening their relationships, although I'm doing that too. What I'm telling them is you're going to starve. Mm. And that is a primal fear that's inside of us. And we pick up the understanding that money is so critical to our survival from a very young age. Mm -hmm. And think about how many stories everybody has from being told they can't afford something as a kid, particularly Mm -hmm. the candy that the candy companies have designed to look like berries. Our brains are hardwired to want the sugar. So asking for the gummy bears and the cami line makes perfect sense to a child who knows, doesn't know better. Mm. And then we tell them they can't afford it. That child then internalizes that their desire means scarcity. Mm. And that, that scar is going to continue on forward in their lives. 
And it's crazy because if you want to talk about sex or you want to talk about money, you'll get people to talk about sex way faster than they'll talk about money. In fact, in my coaching practice, people will, you know, couples will open up to me more about their sex lives than they will about their money lives. Right. I mean, in our journeys, like in this spiritual path on these journeys, I know both you and I have been on what becomes true is you do one thing, like you do everything. So as it turns out, like you start to see that you know, if you have some sort of trauma around your mother wound or your father wound, it shows up in how you behave with your friends. It shows up maybe in how your bank account goes up and down, right? So there are all these different things. And I'm just circling around this, but I think you are way better suited to speak to what is that relationship between people's bank accounts and some of their childhood trauma? Ooh. Ooh. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I, I, I'm, I'm going to tell a story because it okay. illustrates the point perfectly. Okay. Um, so I, I went from teaching to school, from school to public accounting, public accounting into industry, into a corporation. And when I when I made the jump into the corporation, I needed a new pair of shoes. And so at this point, I'm making more money now than I ever have in my life. Mm. In fact, by the end of March, I make my teacher, my old teacher salary. So I, I'm I'm well off. I've got the house. Like the whole vision came true at this point. I had the house, the yard, the stakes, the compliment <laughs> for my wife, the whole nine yards. And I needed a new pair of shoes. And I go to buy a new pair of shoes. And I I picked out a shoes I really want. I picked out they were perfect. Um, they they were zero drop shoes, which I really prefer because I don't my feet don't hurt at the end of the day. So like I'm my inner child is like super excited to buy these shoes. Yeah. And I go to hover over the buy now button, and I just can't click yes Mm. like i'm an accountant it was in the budget i literally had money in cash in the bank account i had checked before i'd done this and i'm starting to sweat Mm. just bullets because i'm so nervous and i I ended up you know just xing out of the whole order and i couldn't do it Mm. i just couldn't do it and over months of working with my men's group and talking about my resistance to buying shoes, that suddenly occurs to me that when I was 16, I got one pair of really cheap shoes. Mm. And with that pair of cheap shoes, I was supposed to go to school, train for wrestling, work on construction crews. And in the summer, I went and threw hay on a horse farm. And those shoes literally rotted off my feet. And when they did, my, my mother just flipped out on me about how I wasn't taking care of my stuff. And I had told her when we bought those shoes, like, mom, I I need a pair of work boots. And, and so this idea, like there was no way you could have made those shoes work. (laughs) It just, it wasn't physically possible. So that happened when I was 16. Now fast forward over 20 years later, and I can't buy a pair of shoes with my own money because I'm afraid that this means I haven't taken care of my stuff. Mm. And so you know, you're looking you know, now. You take that story, like that's a really pointed story, and I've told that at a number of men's gatherings, and I have yet to have a time where I tell that story and I don't have at least one person come to me and go, "I have that same story." Yeah. And and now stop and think about ordering dessert on your first date with somebody you really like. Mm. After dessert was always not; it was too indulgent. Mm. Now think about you know the clothes you buy. Now think about the car you drive. Now think about the type of socks you own, right? Like this, we could be here all day. All the different judgments people put on their different purchases that are actually coming from some type of emotional wounding in their pa- their past that's mm. continuing to make decisions for them today. Right. 
I think that's so, oh my gosh, I'm sure that happens everywhere. What I think of is like, no matter how much money a person has or is making, maybe they get a new job, they've gotten like a 40% increase in their paycheck, yet they're still not able to save any more money than they were before they got that 40% increase. Like mm-hmm. stuff like that. I've heard a lot of stories like that. Can you speak to like what that is on an emotional level with somebody? So I'm, I'm going to make your your audience all squirm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love it. <laughs> so and I'm going to start off by pointing out something really maladaptive in society because mm. we call that type of thing either lifestyle inflation or hedonic adaption. And both of those are A, wrong, and B, a judgment. Mm. And so, like, if you're sitting there thinking, well, I got my this 40% raise, and and I'm just, I'm a bad person because I'm a hedonist, because I, like, I want whoever's listening to know you're not a hedonist, you're not wrong, you're wounded, and there's a huge difference between those things. People will spend that raise for a number of different reasons, okay? One of them is, they suddenly feel secure. So you might have been budgeting a lot and thinking to yourself, oh, well, I, you know, I, I'm good at budgeting and it's fine, but now I got this 40% raise. So now I have arrived and we can back away from it. And now suddenly we're no longer paying attention to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that I've done this where I've gotten a bonus and I've spent that bonus like three times. <laughs> totally. And and so, you know, that type of thing happens. Another thing that happens is you might not be bad with money. You might just be addicted to scarcity. Right. And so the way that that'll play out is you say to yourself, well, hold on a second. You know, I I, I don't know how to handle this. In fact, I've now ascended to a new level, but I prefer my, my familiar hell to my strange heaven. So I spend down to put myself in what I consider to be a normal and safe environment. And that like, because people prefer familiar hells to strange heavens. And so that spending then puts you back in scarcity, which then feels normal. It feels like childhood and childhood was supposed to be a safe time. And so if I allow myself to save money, I'm now redefining myself, which means I'm separating from my childhood, which means I'm separating from my past, which means now I'm inherently afraid of abandonment because I've decided to rewrite a story I was given. There's a flip side to that. Yeah which is you're the hero of your own story. Mm. And that is, and this, this applies to, to your male audience. I've seen more men do this than women because men yeah. love like deep in his heart. Every man longs for a beauty to rescue and adventure to live and a battle to fight. Wild at heart. Yeah. It's a great book. I love it. And, and, and he's totally right. So if you stop and think about this, if you're the guy and you've always been able to like get all the bills paid and keep the wolves from the door at the end of the day, like you can come into the end of the month and you can put your hands on your hips and be like, I am the hero. I've done it. And she should love me for that. Mm. And now if you have savings, you just took away your hero story. Mm. And so the only way to maintain that hero story is to continue to spend. Fascinating. I'm fascinated by all of it. And it just makes me think of my own money stories. And I feel like I've overcome quite a bit of my money stories as I've overcome my childhood trauma, which Mm -hmm. funny how that happens. I used to have this scenario where my bank account would just like go up and down. It was a full on roller coaster. And I think what was familiar to me was being criticized and being blamed and shamed and yelled at. And so I was blaming and shaming myself. And I was just like looking for an opportunity to come back to scarcity 
you know? And so I would just like manifest these like moments where I would like almost run out of money and I needed to be saved. (laughs) And so, or, or yelled at, right. By like my, my parent figure or something or ashamed and blamed and yelled at and saved. So it was like this weird twisted thing. And it kept happening over and over again until I healed through that. And I don't experience that anymore. But honestly, you just speaking on all this stuff, I'm just like, whoa, like connecting the dots, right? What are you, you, when you and I were talking, you, you mentioned like the five ways people see money through their wounds and their trauma. Can you speak on those? Well, in, in that particular scenario, like that's, that's two of them, right? Okay. Yeah. You know, the, the, the big one is not being able to deserve it. Okay. Yeah. Right. Like the, like that, that's the big one. Like we, we create these different stories and like the, at the end of the day, whether you, you're telling yourself, I don't deserve it, whether you want to be the hero of your own story, whether you're, you know, you're suddenly letting yourself go, whether you're addicted to scarcity, whether you prefer the pressure, right? Yeah. At the core of it all, it's about the familiarity of childhood. Mm. And I can tell you that for myself, you look at it and you say, well, hold on a second. I'm suddenly safe and secure. I have some savings. If I lost my job, I'd be okay. That's a brand new state. There must be something I'm missing. Therefore, I'm in danger. <laughs> yes, because the reptilian brain wants everything to be the same as it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and the monkey brains do too. Like the monkey brains freak out when the when the jungle gets quiet. Mm. Right? Because what, what else is out there that we're not seeing? Mm. It really just comes back down to those individual stories. Yeah. of what what are we looking at and how do we help rewrite them? Yeah. So how do you take someone through rewriting a story like that? Well, for starters, we have to tell the whole story. Yeah. When you get to, when you sit down to to look at it and say, ask yourself, why do I do this? Mm. Well, because I'm not, I'm not good. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, you are good. This is about storytelling, not about judgment. And mm. so my job as a coach is to help, help, remove that judgment and hold space and just care for the whole person right there. And then ask, okay, where did this idea of you're not worthy of this money or you don't deserve it, or you have to be in scarcity come from. And you, all you have to do is just continue to just put pressure and ask why, and just Mm -hmm. be very intensely curious as to what's the underlying story that they're telling themselves and let them tell the whole story. Because they'll tell you a story, but really it's a rewrite of a rewrite of a rewrite. Mm. And so going back and being like, when, tell me another time in which you felt this way, mm. right? Tell me of a time when you were 20 that you felt this way. When, how, when was the first time you felt this way? Right. You know, right. and looking for the adjacent things in the story, right? Well, I, I just, I don't like candy. Okay. Why don't you like candy? And you start looking at it and you you suddenly go back and now we're back in the grocery store, right? Wow. Like for myself, I don't like sweet things. Mm. Now I know that I I know that humans are programmed to like sweet things. So how is it that I don't like sweet things? Yeah. Because I was told I shouldn't have sweet things as a kid, mm-hmm. right? I was told that it was gluttonous to have a piece of cake. Mm. That my love of 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 candy was was somehow sinful and wrong. And then it comes down to the if you have this candy, then you're going to die. They didn't, you know, my, it wasn't explained to me as a kid that it's going to take you 70 years to die of a heart attack from eating too much candy. <laughs> but it was told as a kid, that will kill you. So I'm five years old mm. thinking, oh, my God, grandma put a nice jar of death on the table every Christmas. Mm. <laughs> right? 
for a kid, that's a that's a life threatening scenario, and it dovetails with people's money stories in that we're told the same thing about scarcity, about whether we can afford it, whether or not it's okay. We do the same things with food. We do the same things with fitness. We do mm-hmm. the same things with housing, with jobs, with careers. It's legion. And when you talked about like when you start healing one thing, you start healing others. Yeah, it's absolutely true because they're all tied to the same human experience. Oh, that's so true. You know what that makes me think of like how in Atomic Habits, James Clear talks about it's not about doing a thing. It's about your identity. So it's like a lot of people will say, I want to lose 20 pounds and they never will. But if they try to say something like, I want to be the type of person that shows up to the gym, they might actually do that. And they might start showing up to the gym. And then as a consequence of that, they'll lose the weight. Right. And same with money. It's like, I want to make a million dollars as opposed to I want to be the type of person that isn't scared of money being in my bank account. Oh, totally. But like, go, go to your gym story for a second. If you, if you start going to the gym, you change your friend set. Yeah. You know, it suddenly, it suddenly goes, especially like in my family, like going to the gym is not an acceptable activity. We all judge people for not going to the gym, but we judge them more for going to the gym. Mm. And so, you know, you, you already have to separate from a lot of those groups. Yep. And then as you go to the gym, you start getting gym friends. Now you go to the gym because you're excited to see your gym friends. Yep. Now you start learning to, to, you know, manage macros and cut calories and, you know, oh, now I'm doing a building, a bodybuilding competition because <laughs> everyone else is like, this becomes a normal part of your life. Yes. Now let's look at your money story, right? Well, you can't have time with the boys unless you're at the bar. Because of course mm-hmm. everyone goes to the bar. Well, bars are expensive. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'm gonna. I'm. I want to manage my budget. So instead, I'm gonna. We're. I'm gonna get a TV. I'm gonna put it in my garage and have the boys over to my house. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. Now I suddenly realize. You know. So some of them are gonna drop off, but the mm-hmm. ones that show up, they're gonna be really excited because there's so much more we can do. And you know, cor- you know, Coronas in the cooler are cheaper than Coronas at the bar. Yeah. Now you start th- thinking to yourself, like, do we even need the Coronas? Mm. Right. You know, and then you start thinking, you know, so now you're creating these layers of separations, Mm. you know, with your spending, your income's the same way. Mm -hmm. When I left teaching, everybody told me, oh, what's, you know, but what about the kids? What about them? Right. That's not my responsibility anymore. Um, Yeah. You know, they're like, well, but you don't strike me as the kind of person who chases money. Maybe I am. And so when I got into graduate school, I found a whole bunch of people who wanted to be the best they could possibly be. Yeah. So it was socially acceptable. Then when I went to the big four, the largest accounting firms in the world, now I'm surrounded by people that when I said, I want to do something ambitious, when I was a teacher, they would say, don't you think that that's going to be a lot of effort? But when I was at the big four, they were like, what resources do you need? Right. You know, so, but my friend set completely changed and I had to be okay with that as time goes on. So now in my life, when I look at the the average, the five people I spend the most time with, mm-hmm. even though I'm making excellent income, I am the lowest of them all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm starting to have think you know, instead of thinking, how can I save for this, which has been my life for the last eight years. Now I'm thinking mm-hmm. of how can I add more value into the systems I'm in so that I can afford that this year. Mm-hmm. Thoughts I've never had before, but it comes yeah. from that process of being willing to say, okay, well, the cost of my new life will be my old life. Yes. So I will pay that. Yes. And now I have something new. Wow. That's so powerful. I'm telling you right now, Dylan, like as I've healed, as I've changed, as I've become 
more of the woman that I always knew I was, but I just like was holding back and hesitant. As I've like healed some of my own money stories, I've let go of a lot of friends from my past life. You know, there's some grief attached to that, but mostly there's a lot of excitement and freedom and space to create in a more authentic way. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, you're when you start down, especially for people who are in relationships, when you start down a journey of getting your money stories straight. Yeah. When you look at it and say, you know, I don't want to be poor anymore. Yeah. I want to have savings. I want to build wealth. I want to, I want to create a vision for my life and move forward. Yeah. If you're in a committed relationship, that relationship's going to change. Mm, and how so? how so? Please talk about that. So one of the things is that some people, like I, like I said before, familiar hells are preferable to strange heavens, mm-hmm. right? And one of the big mistakes that I made when I decided I was going to re completely redo my life was I failed to inform my wife. Mm. <laughs> I Minor I just detail. told her that I was told her like, honey, I'm going back to school. And she was like, wait, you're doing what now? I just told her, like, I, I can't do this anymore. I'm going back to school. I'm going to be a CPA. And that was it. I didn't paint her the grand vision. Mm. I didn't give her this shared thing. What I did in this, in, in for the men listening, like, my brothers, don't do this. Learn from my mistakes. <laughs> do not drag your spouse through dark, scary places blindfolded. And that's what I did. Because I didn't paint out her the grand vision of what it could be, what life could be like. I didn't solicit buy-in. I just kept going. Mm. Now that then kicked off years of marital strife. Yeah. Right. Because suddenly she went from, this is my husband, the teacher to who is this madman who won't take no for an answer in the, in life. Right. Who is this guy who has an emergency suit in the back of his car? Who is this guy who, you know, I was never an organized student. Who is this person who is now hyper-disciplined, who's at school at 6 a.m. and doesn't come home till 11 p.m.? Like, she suddenly was living with a stranger. It's huge. And and on top of it all, and for what? So now she's in grad school. She's taking care of our daughters. And I'm sitting here just, what, gone? <laughs> yeah, for what? And women have a fundamental instinct. Like, we have this ancient instinct to want safety and security. And we have a lot more like, we're not as present as men are in any Mm -hmm. given moment. We think a lot and a lot of thoughts come into our minds. So being blindfolded sounds like the worst thing in the world. And it's an entirely an an immature, unregulated masculine, just taking complete control Right. And and like you, the interplay of that, of of because one of the things I responded to when I decided that I was done teaching, which was telling my principal, no, my wife always said, we don't have enough margin. We don't have enough margin. So there's this feminine call of give me more resources, give me more resources, mm-hmm. which is why I'm working three jobs, which is why I'm, I'm doing all the things I'm doing. So now it was the ultimate of like, you want resources, baby, I'm going to give you resources. But I didn't explain to her how. Ow. And of course because she didn't understand what was going on. She couldn't tell me when enough was enough. Right. You know, so like by the time I finished grad school, I'd gotten her a job. I got myself a job. I'd moved us across cities. <laughs> like, And I literally came back and was like, yeah, I went to this, this recruiting thing, but I didn't go for me. I went for you. And by the way, they want to interview you. And she was like, I'm doing what now? Totally. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's, it's that, that changes the relationship, but here's another way it will change the relationship. 
if I'm really serious about budgeting and I don't approach my budget as a statement of values, she will interpret it as a statement of scarcity. Mm. Right? Because when I say we have to have financial discipline, that appeals to my masculine. But her feminine here is you want to starve my babies. Fascinating. And it's not a logic thing because money isn't about neck up. It's about neck down. And so even if she looks you in the eye and says, okay, yeah, that sounds good. Promise you that that's not what's going on. Like, don't, don't believe her. Like she needs to have a say in this. She needs to insert her own values into it. If she's not part of that conversation, this will not go well. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that budget becomes your statement of values because how you spend your time and how you spend your money accounts equates to your character. So if we start changing the way we spend our money, we start changing the character of our relationships. Mm, wow. And, and I, I debated, I kind of knew this was going to come up. I kind of debated saying it, but I'm going to say it anyway, because of just a, of, of our relationship and the nature of your podcast. But when men start paying off their debts and getting their money together, their confidence will shoot through the roof. Mm. They will become more present in everything they're doing. And, and I, I've had clients where I've had men go, my relationship sucks. Okay, well, tell me about your money situation. Well, but my relationship sucks. Okay, cool. Let's go back to the money thing. <laughs> and having explained to him, it's really hard to be intimate with your partner when you have the debt clock in the back of your head. Oh, wow. Right? So while you're sitting there trying to, to blow her mind in bed, your mind is still somewhere processing that you are in debt. When you're trying to put on a great dinner, your mind is understanding this one on a credit card and will charge you, cost you 25% interest. Mm -hmm. So it undercuts a man's ability to show up in a relationship. Mm -hmm. But the reverse is true. When you get your shit together, <laughs> you A, become more attractive, but B, you suddenly show up. Now, if she's used to the muted version of yourself, you will overwhelm her. And this is going to be true in every other aspect of your life. You're going to show up more at work. You're going to show up more in relationships. You're going to show up more as a husband. And if the people around you don't know what's going on because you, like most men, have failed to communicate appropriately, <laughs> you're going to break things. Ah, Dylan, fireworks. Fireworks for that whole monologue. Very profound. Very beautiful because of the nature of what I do and how much I research specific to evolutionary psychology, women have a yearning for safety and security. In our modern world, safety and security translates to ambition and the possibility for resource acquisition. <laughs> so to be able to acquire resources and actually be confident in those resources is part of the safety that you can provide. So it makes a lot of sense. And the other point is, I know that men are valuable. And men are constantly trying to up their value through competition, through resource acquisition, through providing more. How much can I provide? How much, how much value can I bring? Meanwhile, women are like, we have like an infinite amount of energy, right? So like, I don't need to prove to you for you to like me. I don't need to prove all these different things for you to like me. And I think that's what gets men and women in trouble on dates. When women are super high in their masculine, they show up and they're like, oh, he's been proving himself. I should prove myself too. And then it's like, that doesn't work. But I will say this makes sense why the debt factor is it directly affects confidence because men are focused on their value. 
One hundred percent. Well, and and like the, the the modern dating scene, man. We could do a whole other podcast just talking about that. Totally. Um, totally. Because you know, it, when when you start doing financial coaching, you end up starting to do life coaching because they're not exactly dissimilar. So I get a lot of. I, I've had young men come through my practice and be like, "I got to get my shit together." Why? I don't know. Because uh, I want to date. And I was like, "Well, okay, good on you for understanding the most sexy thing about a man is a man who has his shit together." Um, and like, okay, so let's talk about this and, and having to go through the ups and downs for them, especially with women who think, you know, they've been told, well, you need to be more masculine. You have to be a man and you can do it just the same as a man. Like, no, we're, Hmm. we're different things. And so then I've had guys go out on dates and they're like, that was great. Like we, we had debates and we were like, and I was like, oh my God, like you treated her like a dude. Oh, wow. Really? (laughs) And and, and she's not going to call you back. And, and he was like, why would I, I had a great time. And I was like, it wasn't about you. Mm-hmm. Like, but that, that whole, like trying to assess value, you're right. Women are valuable out of the box. Men have to constantly renew that both with themselves and with others, mm-hmm. you know, and it's harder and harder in a world where, you know, we do more intellectual work than we do physical labor in a world in which we live in one of the safest societies that's ever existed. Right. Yeah. You know, in a world in which women rightfully so should, you know, have careers that can replace right. their income. Yes. You know, and so it like for the men that are listening, like you're playing a game, bro. Yeah. Play it well. Like it, it behooves us to understand that we're playing a game. There are rules and there will be winners and there are losers. Having your finances dialed in enables you to be more emotionally available. Having a successful career allows you to actually work on your heart space. Right. And And I will promise you that if you're looking for a way to differentiate yourself, that's a really powerful one. Right. That stability, just that like stable, sturdy stability. I'll even like forget about gender for a second. I'll even talk about like those elements within myself. If I have like financial stability and I've been able to provide that for myself and that's like locked in and money is flowing into my bank account, I am freer to be fun and present and I'm not stressed and I'm just like more me. Of course, that's true with men. That must be true with men. That's so fascinating. But then what is the distinction between having your shit together financially, being yourself and kind of being present and being there as a father, a husband versus chasing a paycheck and being obsessed with the amount of money you make? A short answer is desperation. Okay. Speak more. Um, So so what you just said ties back to something we were talking about before, two different types of morality sets. Mm. Right. And and one of the things I'd said was when you're when you're on the managerial side of the morality set and you yeah. have finance the, the ability to take a financial punch, you can be yeah. more risky. Yeah. Being more open, being more free is a risk. So of course you can be more open when you have more money flowing in. Right? Mm. Because you can take a financial punch. You can make mistakes. You have the margins. Mm. You know, and so the, the, you know, the, the same is the same is true when you're, you know, that relates to your question of like, what's the difference between chasing this paycheck versus I'm just open to the money coming into my life and allowing it to edify and make me more of what I am. And the answer is desperation. Which side of the morality system are you on? If you're on the worker side where you're all living paycheck to paycheck, every paycheck is critical. When I was a teacher, I never could say no to a dollar. Right. So when when I when I got a call from the theater saying, hey, we got a show tonight and I need another bouncer, the answer was always yes. Oh. I could never say no because I didn't have a choice. 
And if I had, if I maintained that mentality, I'd still be working in public accounting. Right. Right. But once I, as I, as I evolved, I left that, I redefined my relationship with money. Right. Now I can look at it and go, yeah, that's not worth it. I don't want that. Right. And that actually came true. And le- this last June, I was offered a promotion at work and I looked at it and I was like, yeah, that's twice. So I get an extra 10 grand for taking this promotion and I get 25% more work. No, I'd it. rather work on fiscally savage. I'd rather be there with my daughters. I'd rather invest in my relationship with my wife. So no, I don't need an extra 10 grand. Mm. Now I'm not, I'm not damaged by it, Yeah, <laughs> but I don't need to chase the dollar. Mm. And I'm also building a, a money a business that cash flows by adding other value to other people's lives. And right. I use that then to be able to expand my reach, to be able to you do self-maintenance. I see yeah. I even have a hard time saying that because I'm still working my way through that. Yes. Because I'm becoming more high performance, and high performance always means high maintenance. Yes. And so, like putting that money in there and going, yes, I'm gonna spend that money on myself. <laughs> you know, I don't feel a desperation. I don't need a client to say yes to me. Right. You know, I wait for the clients to say yes, rather than me chase the yes. It's beautiful. You know what that makes me think of? Just so many men that I've met and I've just, I've seen and witnessed that, you know, will essentially say, yeah, I got to say yes. I got to say yes to everything. And then that becomes self-sacrifice. That becomes sacrifice of their time and their attention for their family. And then it becomes, why are you mad at me? I'm doing this for you when their wives and their kids are like, but we miss you, right? They're just like, this is all for you. I think a lot of men don't understand where they went wrong in that moment. Oh yeah. Part of that is just a covert contract, Mm. right? Part of that is a breakdown we've had over the last 40 years in society that has reduced all humans to just economic units instead of humans. And so like when you're killing yourself, and I, I, I have said those words to my kids, I have said these words to my wife, a little fucking gratitude would be nice. Right. You know, but right. reality is, is that they really had very little to be grateful for from me. Mm. I wasn't performing at my top of my game. I was just killing myself and hoping that people would love to see the show. Mm. You know, <laughs> my heart breaks and melts because this happens so often. Oh, my gosh, this happens so often. And to see men like you understand this and get this and just really like be able to explain the difference, be able to explain a covert contract. Will you explain what a covert contract is? Yeah. Uh, a covert contract is when you have a secret agreement with somebody else that you will do X and they will perform Y and you didn't bother to tell anybody. And and like covert can be from yourself too, yeah. because sometimes we'll get upset for no reason. Be like, I don't, why are you upset? I don't know. Mm. You do know your body knows. And so like a great example, the example I've I've always seen with the with with men and and this has played out in my own relationship too, where my wife has said, Well, you know, I, I just I can't be present during sex because you know there's there's so much going on. Okay, cool. So I clean the house and I do the dishes and I prepare the dinner and I do all the stuff. And at the end of it, she just sits down on the couch and is like, Oh, it's so relaxing to just have a night off. And I'm like, hey, I thought you agreed to fuck me. Yeah. <laughs> Now yeah, I'm upset. Yeah. Now she's upset. Now she not, not, not like like play that out a couple iterations. Now when I do the dishes, she's suspicious. Yeah. Right oh. now, now everything is a is a quid pro quo, tit for tat thing. Your relationship starts becoming more and more transactional. Right, like that's a covert oh. contract because I didn't tell her like, honey, I'm going to do the dishes and then you're going to blow me. Like, and if and if she says, okay, deal. 
like now you have an explicit contract, but if you don't vocalize that, that's a covert contract. Mm. And now for, for men who are listening, who want to sit there and go, well, she would never agree to that. I don't know, bro. Have you tried it? Listen, I love this. <laughs> I love what we're getting into because it's just so fun talking about this. Covert contracts are creepy. They're sleazy and creepy. And I will tell you, I had a really funny situation happen. Like, I don't know, like a year and a half ago, I was in, I was at a pub in London and this guy bought me a drink. And within three minutes, this is like, you're telling the marriage story. I'm telling the dating story. Basically like he bought me a drink and he was like, Hey, I think you're really attractive. I'm in therapy and I'm just like going through a lot of things. I would love to spend the night with you, but that's all it would be. And that's it. Like, I don't want anything. I don't like, I'm not looking for anything except for like a one night thing. And I was just like, wow, it was so refreshing just to like get that proposition, just like really clearly, just like a very clear statement. And then I was like, then is my choice. And then I was like, you know what? Yeah, sure. Why not? And that's my choice to say yes or no. And then he said, remember, I'm not going to call you tomorrow. <laughs> like this guy was just trying to be so clear. And just to explain why this was attractive, the reason this was attractive was because if I had said no, thank you, he would be like, okay, cheers. Have a great night. This man wasn't looking for validation. He was being himself and then he was okay either way. And so I think like a covert contract would be to be nice and to be sweet and to say all these nice things and then know you want something in your mind, but not speak it out loud. And that is the creepy, sleazy feeling that women get when they're just like, this guy's not saying what he really wants to be saying. The reverse is true. So yes to everything you said. And the reverse <laughs> is true because yeah. like how many guys have been in the friend zone, mm. right? Because there, there is this ex explicit thing of like, I will always be the woman next to you, but you're always going to have to listen to my problems with other men. Interesting. There's an interplay that that's there, or you end up with the whole thing of like, you're always to be available for me 24 seven, right? But this is true for guys when they first start doing like heart space work. I've watched women take advantage of this and be like, oh, you have access to your heart space. So now you know how to hold space. So now I'm going to dump everything oh, onto you. Oh, my heart. And, and so, and, and hold it. And the guys are like, okay, cool. But then now, now they come in they say, okay, well, you wanted me to do the works. So now I'm going to draw a boundary. And now that's an aggressive act to them. Oh yeah. That's sad. That's sad. I hate that. I mean, other things that I've seen, and <laughs> this is, this is true of the, like, I'm, I'm going to, you're always going to be able to see me emotionally and show up for me emotionally. And then you can fuck me at any time. Interesting. Right. That's another one that guys have to deal with too. So like, they look very different and they are, they are dangerous in very different ways. I see. Can you explain that last one again? Yeah. So like you get into relationships, like, you know, especially in, in, um, more longer term relationships yeah. where you like the guy because he's really present because okay. he's really there. He yep. shows up for you emotionally. He can hold space. Okay. And now it's suddenly like, oh, I like this. I want to be part of this. Right. Mm -hmm. But what, what you liked wasn't him. What you liked was him seeing you. Okay. I see. And so now the covert, but, but now somewhere, and, and I don't know where that I'm not going to speculate somewhere you've connected to like, well, he wants sex and I want to be seen. So that's what we're exchanging here. Oh, and so it's not real. So the woman thinks that she can always at any time show, you know, just bring emotions to the guy and he's supposed to be able to hold it. 
And in exchange, he has access sexually anytime. This here's where it blows up. The guy has a bad day. Yeah. And it's like, honey, I just I can't do this right yeah. now. Yeah. Or honey, I, 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 I'm scared. I need you to hold this. Yeah. Yeah. And she'll melt down on it. Right. <laughs> Fascinating. That's like this unspoken contract that is not union. That's not partnership. That's not real to me. Well, here's, here's another one. I'm, I'm a mother and anything I do for a mother is to be excused, right? Okay. Think about budgeting, honey. We need to get some financial discipline. What does she hear? You're going to starve my babies. Right. So she agrees to all this stuff. And then she goes and spends a whole bunch of money on diapers and all this other stuff. Completely blows the budget. You come back to her and be like, hey, what's going on? I'm doing this for our kids. You can't yell at me. Mm, I care about our kids more than you do. Exactly. Yeah. And and it like, but I want our kids to not be in a bankrupt household. So like, how is that? You see the difference here. The covert contract that was existed in that space was I can do anything for our kids and you're supposed to make it okay. Mm. So is that as dangerous as a man in a bar? Absolutely not. Is it as is it as emotionally damaging as is in both directions? Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. So how do you in that instance with the babies and the diapers, how can you paint the picture of that going well, that being an explicit contract and that like in the way that you and I would like it to to look and be? Yeah. So so let's just take and, and I'm actually just pulling a lot of these examples from my own relationship. So it's not like All these right. are just like fictions. These are <laughs> yes. These are things I've been in therapy for. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so like the diapers conversation, right? You come on, you create this budget and say, okay, we have X amount of dollars for the kids and for baby stuff. And she looks at it and she immediately knows that it it's not going to happen, but she doesn't want to upset you, right? Mm-hmm. My job in this is to say, honey, I need you to be part of this. I want to share these values with you. Mm-hmm. And I understand this is an open dialogue and an open sacrifice to be able to create financial stability for our family. Mm-hmm. If she takes the invitation, and she might not believe you, because let's face it, a lot of guys have poor track records. Mm. If she believes you and she comes in and she says, we don't have enough money for the kids, and I don't know how to make this work. Okay. All right, honey, I'm on the same team with you. I completely want to work with you. Let's figure this out together. What can we do? Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. And that needs to be a discussion where she, she knows that you saw her concern, you took it seriously, and it's going to be okay. Mm. Now, does that mean that you might have to sit there and go, you know what? There's no way we can make this budget work. I'm going to go find another way to make more money. That Mm. might be true. Sure. You might have to look at it and go, you know, you're right. The football game at the bar is not going to happen. So I'm just done with that. But I, I, so, so here's the deal. I want to be able to, football's still important to me. So I'm going to watch it. I'm going to live stream it, but I'm going to be at home. And during that time, I want to be left alone. Mm. Right. Like, so, so now we're defining boundaries. We're stating needs. We're actually having a conversation about this so that we can actually work together as a team. Totally. Mm. Beautiful stuff. That would be a way for that to go better. And for, for your, your listeners, it's not going to go well the first like four times you try it. (laughs) I make it sound so simple, but it's not. Yeah. And, and part of that, part of an explicit contract should be we're going to make mistakes and I'm going to give you the grace that I hope that you give me. Mm, Yeah. That's beautiful stuff. I love that. I think what, in everything that you just shared, I think it's really important to not prioritize values in this like hierarchy and like a personal hierarchy. Like, well, of course the kids are more important than football. Who cares about football? It's like, we need to see each other and our needs as holistic, right? Spiritual, emotional, 
friends, relationships, of course, parenthood. But when we start to see each other's needs as valid across the board, no matter how important or not important you might think it is, I think that is a game changer for everybody. And especially for guys. Yeah. Right. Because there's a lot of this like, don't go out with the boys. Don't go out with the boys. One of my closest friends will occasionally call me and she'll be like, and I need you to go out with my husband. Totally. I'll be like, Smart okay. Woman. What's that? Smart woman. She's a lot of things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, but that's what it is. He's yeah. ornery. You need to go out with him. Why? Because he hasn't had any time to time to be with guys. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. You know, and my wife at this point has, has come along to the idea that like guy time is mandatory. If I don't get it, I'm not going to be able to show up for her. Totally. But the more I, the more I do, you know, treat myself, the more I, I'm engaged in self maintenance, the more I spend time with men, the more I show up as a husband, father, and community leader. Beautiful. I love that. I'm with you. I think it's very important. It's very, very important. I actually just got off a call with a dear friend of mine who is just finally kind of, she's a single mom right now. And the child's father is sees him, but he's just not as present and he's not teaching him the things that need to be taught. And she's finally come out with it and said, all right, you know, all these men, there are all these men's groups. How can we find a man in Southern California who like maybe is like a retired veteran that can like devote a couple hours a week to my son because there's nothing I can do that will help this boy besides try to find a man to spend some time with him. There is a, an emerging movement of men who have started to push back against this isolationist anti-human society we live in. And, and it's, it's beautiful. And I'm, I'm so grateful to the women who are joining us and recognizing that, that boys need men to help usher them into manhood and there isn't a substitute to be had. Mm, Gosh, I just like love everything we've been talking about. So fun. I think I learned so many things from you, Dylan. I want to ask you, so how have you become a better dad and a better husband since healing those money wounds we talked about in the beginning? Ooh, healing's a process. I'm not, I'm not there yet. Um, so the biggest thing is presence. Mm. My wife has told me that, you know, if something were to ever happen to me, she doesn't think she could ever be with a man who doesn't have presence again. Mm. And, and she has talked routinely with, I've gone to men's retreats and there, there was, there was one that I did with a group called the uncivilized nation about 18 months ago. And she, she frequently says that the man who left never came home. Mm. Right. Because I'm able to suddenly hold space for her. I may suddenly be able to meet my daughter where she is um, on an emotional level. As I've healed the money issues, I'm able to define my needs better. Mm. Honey, I need to have this. Honey, I don't. This is how I wish to live it. You know, having to be very specific with my money needs and be able and, and my budgeting as a statement of values I suddenly am now sharing more values with my wife. I know what's important to her. I know where cuts can be made because it's frivolous and it's distracting and it's numbing versus this is critical to my wife's mental and emotional health. <laughs> and same with me, mm. right? Like if you took my, if you took the gym away from me, I would, I would, I would come apart. Totally. You know, so that's not, that's not frivolous spending. That's mandatory spending. Mm. And that. so even being able to look my daughter in the eye and and say to her, you know, you're safe. Because if something were to happen, if all else fails, we have an entire year worth of income saved. You know, I can make choices. I can make decisions for my daughters and for my even myself ethically as the man who's the example in her life Mm -hmm. that I couldn't when I was a teacher. Right. Because you were so stressed and just overwhelmed. You weren't able to be present 
the way that she needed. Wow. Well, and giving her an example of somebody who's overworked, underpaid, stressed out, desperate versus mm. somebody who is abundant, somebody who's present, somebody who has plans and ambitions, yeah. somebody who can knows when to, to really hit it hard and when he can just relax and be. Yeah. And somebody that can say no when it's not worth it. It's so awesome. I'm so happy for you. 100%. <laughs> absolutely true. That's beautiful. I'm going to end with one fun question that I love to ask my guests because it's Venus and Mars and we're talking about men and women and relationships. And the whole point of this is to create more fulfilling and rich unions between men and women. So I'm very happy to be able to have you on here. What is your favorite thing about women, Dylan? My favorite thing about women is when they are blossoming in their feminine and in their feminine power. Mm. I like my heart just sings and resonates against that openness and against that just chaotic creativity that just comes pouring forth from a woman who's in her power and in her feminine. Mm. Like (laughs) I'm told as a man, a lot of like, you don't like powerful women. No, it's the exact opposite is true. Um, I love it. I seek it. I crave it. And so, you know, being around women who are in their feminine, who are relaxed into their power that is, it is incredibly integrating for me. It is incredibly edifying to my relationships. That is hands down my favorite thing. Woo, that's so juicy. Feminine power. I love that. It's something that I have been learning and unlearning and relearning what that actually means because God knows I was never taught that feminine was powerful and it didn't need to compete with masculine. So that is the journey that I think a lot of women are on right now. And I I see a lot of women finally starting to be like, oh, the way that we've been doing things has just not been working. It's been noticed, right? Like there's a lot, I think a lot of women have been taught like the proper way is to do it like a guy would do it. And it's like, no. Or don't don't do it at all. Or just be quiet and don't do anything. Well, and I look at the company I work for and the most powerful women in the organization lead from their feminine. Yeah. Like you can trust them. Yeah. And like men follow them and are inspired by them because they're leading from their feminine and they like they they're they're open about being feminine, about motherhood, about being in this environment. Mm. And and it's it's really cool to see. And I think for men, we've been taught a lot of like, you know, be more feminine. And now we're starting to learn like, no, no, the exact opposite is true. You need to be more, you need to embrace who you are without apology. I love that. It's very, very beautiful. And on that note, we're going to wrap this one up. I feel like I've learned quite a bit about how money is just so interconnected with the way we feel about ourselves, the way we feel about other people. And Dylan, I would love to, because I feel like people just got like a small taste of the genius that you are. (laughs) So can you please let everyone know where they can find you, all your links and everything I'll put at the bottom of the episode, but just please give yourself like a shout out for everyone. 100%. Uh, You can find me at Fiscally Savage everywhere. So the podcast is Fiscally Savage. You can find it any place you get podcasts from. My website is FiscallySavage.com. You can go to FiscallySavage.com slash tools for any of my free tools for budgeting, net worth growth, uh, visions. And then you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, all at Fiscally Savage. I'm most active on Instagram. So if you got a question you want me to deal with on the show, that is where you can find me. Send me a message and I will do a whole show for you. Woo! Everybody, let's get our money right so that we can get our relationships right. 
that is the moral of this episode. And I'm super stoked to have had you on, Dylan. Thanks, everybody. And until next time, this is Venus and Mars.